Welcome back, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Caps. Caps is the hub of US sports apparel in Australia. That's right, you've heard it right here. They are the leaders here in Australia. They are purely for the fans and they stock officially licensed authentic NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, AFL, and NRL apparel, including an elite range of jerseys, caps, hats, t-shirts, tracksuits, and more. I can hardly spit it out. There's that much going on here. Oh, they are purely for all the sports fans. So if you'd like to head online to caps.com.au, use the discount code ACES at checkout, and you will get a beautiful little discount. All right, really excited for today. Let's get into the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Aces in Business. Today, we're joined by Justin Kenner, the CEO of GameSquare Esports, and it's a privilege to have the great man here. We're good mates. I haven't seen JK for, I reckon, two or three years. and It's been a while. Yeah, I know. It's been a while, and to catch you um, is an absolute pleasure, mate. How are you? Good, buddy. I'm good. I'm a little bit tired, <laughs> a little bit jet-lagged, working, uh, working US hours in Oz, but no, going well. Have you slept? Uh, Overnight, you said you were up till at least three or something. Not, yeah, not much last night. It was a big weekend also catching up with a few of the boys in Melbourne, but a yeah. uh, little bit of sleep, but a little bit, a uh, little sleep deprived, but we'll get there. <laughs> Do you sleep much? This is this is one of my questions I'm going to ask later, but you are, you work so hard and you're such a good fella. You catch up with all your mates. How much sleep are you getting? I actually got this thing. I don't know if you guys have seen them, the aura ring. This no. isn't a sponsored ad either. I've never heard about them. No, it was funny. I was actually with Short O'Malley, UFC fighter. Um, we're going to a Cowboys game and he had it on. And I was asking about it and he swore by it. Same thing. He wasn't sponsored by them or anything like that, but it tracks your, your sleep and your activity and then how ready you are for each day, which for what? mine, my sleep data is not ideal, but it is good because it tells you when you do need to rest your body a little bit and likewise when you're actually ready to go for it so like go burn some calories etc but i've been trying to work on the sleep thing i think <laughs> my uh south of 30s was uh burning the candle at both ends and uh my missus would probably still think that that's the case but <laughs> I'm definitely trying to get a bit better at that and 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 you know prioritize uh, staying off the piss where possible. <laughs> yeah, it's a problem for you and I, mate. Oh, you, mate, I'm in just, trouble as well. You, you, every, go- every weekend he's interstate on a golf trip or something. He can't avoid it. If you're not working, you're, you're drinking your beer with your mate or you're doing some sort of you know exercise or socialising, it's, it's hard yeah. work, isn't it? I think the problem is for me a lot of my work has, has kind of where social life starts and work sort of, sorry, when socialise starts and stops and work starts, has all become one, it's intertwined. So there's a lot of uh, entertaining and dinners and all that sort of stuff and travel's hard because you're on planes and you're working late. It's it's hard to not have a have a glass of red on the plane <laughs> oh, or mate. when you land in a new city. But no, it is it, it actually is difficult. So I've definitely tried to, to limit things when I don't need to be, you know, Pushing the boat out as much <laughs> yeah, as uh, yeah. certainly as much as I used to. Anyway, oh, it'd be hard, mate. Doing a lot of networking, which I imagine, like in in a lot of the events you do, just to be. So it's, yeah, it's probably not a bit. What do you do in your spare time? And say you say there's no one around. You're in a new city. What are you doing? Are you just what do you like to do in your spare time when you switch off? Yeah, I don't have a huge amount of spare time <laughs> at the moment. Um, I think since taking on the new role at GameSquare, which is a, a public company, it's been. You know, another step up from what I was doing in phase, which, you know, was a more than a full-time job. So, yeah, I, I don't have a huge amount of spare time, but I play a bit of tennis, 
little bit of golf. I'm, I'm trying to get back into golf, but the, the issue with golf is you need time. Yeah. And I don't have it. So yeah, yeah. maybe the driving range and or, or going for a run. Like people talk about meditating and I did a meditation course but never kind of kept up with it. But for me, I feel like running's oh, meditation nice. a little bit. Just go for a, you know, tw- try and get a 20, 30-minute jog in each day. Yeah. You know, makes you feel a little bit more normal. That hits anyway. a string with us. That's what we're yeah. we're both the same. We're wired that way. Running for me is my uh, yeah. Sank- I've just king my calf, so I can't. Re- I'm struggling to release some uh, endorphins because I <laughs> can't get out there. Yeah, no, swimming's a bit more boring though. It's yeah. hard. You get in, get out. Good weather. after it, but it's mundane, isn't it? So and then people bright- say that about running too. Yeah, the old Brighton Sea Bars. You took me to. <laughs> yeah, oh, good right. For those listening, it it is a big step up. And we're going to go into everything today. You used to work at Phase Clan. A lot of listeners out there and people. Watching would understand Phase Clan and Game Square, um, but you were CFO at Phase Clan, and now you're the CEO. How's the transition been from from the two? Yeah, the transition from CFO to CEO actually probably hasn't been as big as the transition from private company to public, um, and and that might not be for everybody. It's probably more the nature of my role at Phase Clan. It wasn't a traditional CFO role, so. I raised $60 million in debt and equity over my time there. And while CFOs or, you know, people in, in senior finance roles might be involved in the, the raising process, they're not necessarily always the lead person in terms of you know, going and pitching to investors and, and closing out deals. So my role was sort of CFO, CIO, which is Chief Financial Officer, Chief Investment Officer, I did a lot of strategy work. I was heavily involved in signing talent. So it really was quite an operational finance role at Phase Clan. Um, so it hasn't so much been that transition because I was running a lot of parts of the business as much as the transition of private to public, um, mm. especially uh, you know, in America. I mean, the the differences are stark in terms of, you know, what you can and can't do and also what you're required to do in terms of, you know, you really are extremely accountable, um, you know, on a quarterly basis, you have a quarterly report card. So, you know, there's expectations from the market on what you're going to hit and you got to hit them. And then you're, you know, doing your earnings calls to, to market, you're constantly updating shareholders, you're trying to find the right mix of, you know, growing the business, um, executing on the business as well as the marketing side of showing uh, you know, investors that you're you know, doing all the right things, I guess. How do you approach uh, like your investors when, you, when you're trying to raise capital or raise funding? Like what's sort of the perspective you have to go in? Going yeah. there with. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends. It varies in terms of how you're structuring financings, right? So um, I think for, for me personally, I've always had a very uh, sort of upfront, honest approach. I, I definitely feel that um, my my shareholders and, and our talent and our staff value the fact that they know what they're going to get. I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty open and transparent as to – you know, my expectations, where I want to take the business and what I'm going to do. And a, a lot of that is, you know, in a private company, you can sell people on the story and you can do that in public to a degree, but you have to execute and back it up pretty quickly. Yeah. So that's definitely, you know, a way I like to, to, to live my life and show shareholders is, hey, this is what I'm going to do and then continually do it, right? And if you're doing it over and over again, they kind of know what, what they're in for. So it, it definitely depends. Um and it depends on external factors as well, especially in, in public markets. We kind of touched on it. Pretty tough time in the world 
at the moment. Um, you know, coming out of a global pandemic into rising inflation and interest rates into you know, a potential world war, it's pretty <laughs> pretty unprecedented, especially for a micro cap. So yeah. certain companies may not be affected as much, you know, your, your blue chip stocks, but the first companies they sell off are your micro caps. And um, so that's challenging as well. You can be executing, your fundamentals can be great. You can be doing all the things you're supposed to do, but you still go through tough times. And I think that kind of comes back to ensuring that you build real shareholder relationships because those shareholders will stick with you because they know things will turn and they understand that the market's not reacting to you or to the business. They're reacting to external factors. And I've definitely been lucky to build really strong shareholder relationships with very large, credible shareholders that other people want to invest alongside with who have stuck by me and been pretty vocal in in their support of me, which is you know, really, really helpful when going through tough times, not just the, you yeah. know, celebrating the the wins and the and the good times. How like with the esports space, particularly through the pandemic, because my assumption would be for like the individual gamer, it's probably drove a lot more people onto Twitch or watching gaming and so forth. But for for sort of your or sort of gaming in general, but for sort of your space, like the grander events and obviously with the pro teams and so forth, has that been impacted significantly through that pandemic? Yeah, it has been. It's been interesting. I think you know, everybody had this kind of assumption that. COVID was this big win for anybody associated with the industry. Yeah. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, there, there's a lot of industries that were far worse off, but um, overall, like, if you're a, a publisher, so you're making the games, you're winning. If you're making the equipment, you're winning because there's more people at home playing the games, right? Mm. And if you're sort of content creators who are online, you're getting more eyeballs and so you're probably getting more advertising dollars. So there were parts of our business that naturally um, – naturally won from from you know the increased time spent at home but then as you mentioned there were, there were parts of our business that that didn't and that is live events and you know we own 10 esports teams and that is wow. and for those at home who don't know you know esports is the, the competitive pro part of, of video gaming and you know those financial models are very akin and very similar to a traditional sporting team so you have prize money, you have fixed salaries, they're traveling the world, they're on airplanes, um, you, know, you have sponsorships, but they're, they're more your hardcore sponsorships, naming rights on buildings, naming rights on jerseys, so very similar to traditional sports. And then you kind of had this emergence of, of content creation and, and, and kind of influences, but not as not influences in the way that listeners may you know, think about Instagram and whatever. People who are creating content online through games like Fortnite was a real emergence of esports and gaming mm. because there were kids that were making more money from their bedroom on a Tuesday night than some of these kids that are traveling the world playing in these big tournaments. It was really interesting because of Twitch. And again, not for those who don't know, you know, Twitch, I think the easiest way to think about it is kind of the YouTube of video gaming where kids are on there and they're consuming content. The funny part of that is there, there's sort of traditional revenue streams within Twitch, right, where you get AdSense revenue and subscription revenue based off how many followers you have and, and what kind of you know, advertising dollars you're bringing to the, the platform. But then they have a, a revenue stream that's pretty unique, which is donation revenue, right, which yeah. which comes down to not only you, you do need to be a good gamer, but you need to be a personality and you need to be engaging. Yeah. 
And these types of people, so somebody like a Tim the Tatman who we've signed, who's actually, funnily enough, now on YouTube because <laughs> there's been emergence of other you know, rival platforms to Twitch, but, you know, he, he will make a, a huge amount of money from um, kids donating money to, to get a shout-out, to engage with him, to have him play longer. And a lot of people ask, you know, why would that be the case or, you know, mates of mine who, who don't game at all. And, you know, I grew up playing footy. I, I wasn't a gamer. And it's interesting because I, I kind of you know, give the example of it's sort of like, you know, you go to Wimbledon, you watch tennis because you're watching people that are elite at what they do and this is a whole nother level to that, right? It's like you're going to a Laker game and watching LeBron, but you can engage with LeBron and talk to him. Mm. And I think that's the piece that's really valuable and the really valuable to, to brands and advertisers is that, you know, not only are you watching someone who's very elite at what they're doing, you can actually engage with them. And I think it's really key when when thinking about why, you know, it's so powerful. Yeah, it's a real it's a real engaging piece. On that, when people donate to Tim, for example, what's what's the size of the amount of money that he can earn in one session online? Yeah, it, honestly, it varies greatly. Um, but the way when I talk to investors and a lot of, you know, grey-haired individuals who are pretty shocked by, <laughs> you know, a lot of the emergence of, of this space, um, I kind of give the example because, you know, we have a relationship with the Cowboys and um, we take a lot of investors along to games there and, you know, they're more familiar with those traditional sport and entertainment is that Tim, you know, on any given day is streaming to AT&T Stadium full, right, on any given day. Yeah, um, wow. like and, it, equivalent. It, it, and it varies. Right? It wow. might be 20,000 to 100,000 if he's, you know, whatever he's stream he's doing that day or, or, or whatever it might be. But that's the power, you know, of what he's having. And he might have, you know, kids donate. but it adds up. And then you do get guys donating a thousand bucks and you'll spend time and chat to them. And, you know, it's, it's pretty crazy. It it definitely accumulates. That's for sure. But it's, it's also the biggest stuff, right? That, that in itself really, that, that helps him become a media asset in his own right, because he's then has these active eyeballs on him Mm -hmm. And we even notice it, right, when we do a, a merchandise drop or something like that, he's he's now a part owner in our company, so he has a, a vested interest. And not only is he talent, you know, that we, we represent and that works with Complexity Gaming, our, our esports org, but he's a part owner in it, so he has a vested interest in the outcome. If we do a merchandise drop or something like that, he mentions it on his stream. Yeah. You know, the, the amount of kids that are live in shop, it just, it's mm. multiples, it's crazy, the the power that he has to, to this audience. Just on that, um, for those that don't know, Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys being an NFL uh, nut job that I am, is someone like Jerry that you've spoken to at length, no doubt about these guys, is he kind of in shock at the size of these these gamers and someone like Tim? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. So I haven't really told many people, sorry, well, not publicly. Anyway, the it was a pretty incredible experience. So when – when we did the deal to acquire Complexity, which at the time was majority owned by the Jones family and also owned by the Goff family, who's another billionaire family based out of Texas, who are close friends with the with the Joneses, um, a big sort of part of us acquiring them was was having those shareholders involved. I didn't want it to be, you know, they're passing off this asset for someone else to run. I wanted to know that they were along what this is and, and believed in what we're doing. That was 
absolutely the case. So not only did it was an all stock transaction, so they took equity in our company. Um, they put in another. I want to get this right. I think it was seven and a half American. So uh, about another million. That is for everyone listening. Seven and a half million. <laughs> yeah. So uh, about another nine million Canadian at, at the time because we're a Canadian listed company currently, but hopefully moving to the US soon. Um, and as part of it, we did a commercial deal with the Cowboys um, to be the agency of record for the Dallas Cowboys when it comes to gaming and esports. So um, just quickly, so this makes a little bit more sense. Game Square, there's kind of two main buckets. One is digital media agency businesses. We have three of them. And then we have number two is the, the esports teams, which is complexity. <laughs> right. So we... Within our three media and agency businesses, we specialize in gaming and esports. It crosses over into traditional sports, but our whole ethos is around connecting global brands to the gaming and esports communities. Um, and our um, our media agency, GCN, is the agency of record for the Dallas Cowboys. So what that actually means is creating a blueprint and helping the Cowboys reach this younger demographic that is turning away from traditional sports and, you know, they're at home playing Fortnite or Call of Duty or whatever it might be. So our aim is to help them be a market leader and to integrate the two and to also help them go from being, you know, a Texas-based fan base, and obviously the Cowboys have a wider reach than that, but to reach global audiences, to reach these younger demographics um, by by um, pulling together the Cowboys Players League, which we're working on at the moment, gaming club, you know, player lounges, activations on game day, you know, Fortnite competitions on the big screen, creating content channels for them. So there might be a kid in Mexico who you know, loves Fortnite and he's watching one of his favourite Fortnite players and he's playing with Ezekiel Elliott on the Cowboys. He's then a Cowboys fan for life. So it's really interesting, yeah. right, this kind of crossover. But when it comes to Jerry, um, I mean, he, he's been incredible. Uh, and Stephen Jones, his son, who runs the Cowboys, now have been incredibly supportive and um you know we they're a big part of the reason we're able to sign Tim the Tapman who's you know definitely our, our our biggest signing you know he has roughly 20 million followers across his major platforms we actually flew him out on a on a private jet from Destin Florida um into into Frisco Texas where the Cowboys headquarters are and Complexity's headquarters are and uh He's a massive Cowboys fan. So his dad's a huge oh, Cowboys super. fan. And we we obviously knew that. And that was one of our hooks. And we did, we had this two-day sort of tour and pitch to him. Um, and you know, the, the crux of the pitch really was, you know, you're a you're a streamer, but you know, how long are you gonna be able to keep streaming for? We want to ensure that you can be uh, you know, this media asset that you are. For, for years to come and you can keep streaming and making that revenue but we're going to help bring in brands and we actually have an event in July the Tim the Tatman tailgate which is a two day event in Frisco, Texas with 15,000 kids there all types of different events activations live gaming tournaments there'll be celebrities there's you know a car show live music all sorts of stuff so pretty pretty cool and um, but as part of that pitch um, the Cowboys were really heavily involved um, so their head of content was a part of the original pitch with me. And then we did a tour of complexity and a tour of the Cowboys. And we stopped in the, the TV studio and, and the Cowboys, I mean, they're a football team based out of Texas, right? In a, in a domestic sport that are the most valuable sporting organization in the world. So they've done a few things right. Mm. 
and uh, their facilities are just unbelievable. They, you walk into their TV studio and it's like walking onto the set of ESPN. It is incredible. <laughs> so we walk in there and we and they black out the, the whole studio and Tim's like, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> and we've created a video and so we've got a few famous advisors as well to our business. So we had uh, Tony Hawk, Jordan Belfort, Mike McCarthy, Dak Prescott, and a bunch of the Cowboys players all basically telling him he needs to come and join Complexity and the Cowboys family. <laughs> So um, but Ezekiel Elliott come to dinner. Um, he actually knows Zeke and, and plays with Zeke often. Um, Jerry Jones signed helmet. And then the, the next day, the final day was, I think it was the last preseason game. Might have been the second preseason game. But either way, um, get a car into the stadium. He and his wife, his two managers from WME, and um, myself and, and, and Kenzie. And, and we roll in uh, – Underground, we go up into the suite and we've got an hour with, with Jerry and Stephen Jones in Jerry's suite before the game. So we walk over and I was wearing this um, <laughs> white shirt, blue blazer jacket, chinos and these these cowboys socks like rolled up with this little guy with two guns and Kenzie was like, I don't know if you should be wearing that. <laughs> Jerry loved we it. Love yeah, that. Jerry loves That's it. That's awesome. Play on. First, first thing he, yeah, he said was he loved the socks and then – uh, I'd had a little bit to do with Stephen Jones by this point. You know, we closed the deal together. We had a sort of photo shoot together on the announcement of closing the deal and sort of let Tim spend some time with Jerry one-on-one. -on -one. I, I did up, well, someone from my team did up a one-sheeter on all the major talking points, right? It's like, you know, his sort of involvement with complexity, the way that he sees a crossover with complexity in the Cowboys, but also explaining to him you know, how important Tim was. And one of the guys from the team was explaining to him, saying, yeah, we're basically flying out Aaron Rodgers if you didn't have Dak Prescott, was the way that they were talking about it. It was pretty funny to kind of give him the football analogy. But <laughs> So Tim and Jerry talking and, you know, we're chatting with Stephen Jones, looking at the stadium and go over and Jerry comes over and shakes my hand and says, you know, I hit on all the major talking points. I did a good job. And he, like, hit me in the chest and basically said, now, now all you got to do, son, is go sign him. And so I just said, yes, sir, I will do, and shook his <laughs> hand and we uh, we signed him. But I think uh, if you can bring Jerry Jones to a meeting and you, and you don't get the deal done, then, <laughs> then you should probably show yourself out. But, oh, uh, shit. No, they've, they've been awesome and he, he is starting to, to really understand. And um, Jerry has a suite, obviously the, the owner's suite, but he has 10 suites either side of him and it backs onto this club called the Owner's Club. In AT&T. And AT&T is incredible. It's like... Unbelievable. You know, going to Anzac Day footy. You can go to LA Stadium's great and it's cool and it's modern, but football in Texas is just something different about it. And the stadium's huge. It's amazing. And there's a lot of suites there, but there's only... There's 21 owner suites. One is Jerry's and it's huge. And then there's 10 of the side. They can't rent them out. It's his you know, 20 best mates and business partners. They have their own furniture in there, whatever. Can't rent them out. You know, like suites, if it's yeah. Super Bowl or if it's something else, you don't have that suite for, for the whole year. They do. It's their suites. And they, they back onto this club called the Owners Club, which is, you know, on a Sunday, if, you, if you're a big deal in Dallas, you're in the Owners Club Just on a Sunday football. Oh, footy, yeah, yeah. So out the back of there, at the end of the game, if they win, there's bottles popping, oh, there's live music, there's all sorts of stuff. <laughs> How do we get in there? Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. Don't worry about that. It's <laughs> unreal. It was, it was pretty cool because I think to, to your original question, because I've been 
been going on a bit here, but no, it's great. No, we love, we this. love it. Don't this, to your question around knowing the importance of it and seeing the impact, um, John Goff, who has a sweet two up from Jerry, who's another one of our key investors, he had he was hosting us and Tim and his wife Alexis for the day, and Cloxy, another massive streamer who streams often with Tim, and the NFL contacted us to see if they could come into the suite to go live on Instagram and post them and whatever. And John Goff and, you know, for these guys who knew they were big, starting to understand that crossover and even the front of the suite, you know, there's kind of the, the walkway. If you're sitting on level one, you go up and you kind of see into the suite. It's kind of like that Conor McGregor thing where people are just lined up trying to get to him and to have like Stephen Jones and John Goff and Tom Walker, who's the, the CFO of the Cowboys, he's, he's on my board, to have them actually see the impact in real time. They get it. Yeah. They get it. And, you know, not only is the NFL taking photos of these kids everywhere that are mobbing him in the way that, you know, we would have, uh, you know, an AFL footballer growing up. So he, he, is Tim the biggest dog in the esports community or one of? Yeah, so so it's, it's interesting, right? So esports is kind of the professional part of, of, of gaming and we have a, a touch on before we have ten teams in ten teams in nine games. Why we have ten in nine is we have a female and a male Valorant team. Are they all under the complexity brand? Are they different teams that sit under that? How do this They're all they're all under the complexity okay. brand and they get paid fixed salaries are all under contracts. So for example, you know, you might have six or seven rostered Counter-Strike players because they're playing as a team. It's a strategy team-based yeah. game. Tim's different. Tim's not paid a, a fixed salary per his you know, gaming contract. He, he's a content creator, so he he will get paid rev share on things, and we do now pay him you know, a salary to be a part of the Complexity Org, but a lot of these content creators are, are really generating revenue through Twitch and what I yeah. talked about before. So he's not probably – class as being a pro esports player as such, but he does more of a personality. Yeah, but he but he does play yeah. you know, obviously a lot of there's a lot of crossover with, with esports and these and these streamers. Yeah. But but yes, I mean Tim would be one of the biggest streamers in the world. Um I mean there's a few others. Nick Merckx, who was FaZe Clan who who he and Tim are very close. Doctor Disrespect. Tim actually um streams with a bunch of these guys. So they would all share each other. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of that that flow just, on effect. Just on the Counter-Strike guys that are on fixed salaries, just can you give us an average salary um, of these guys that are competing just so that people can listening, you know, understand? Yeah, that's a – you're giving away private intel. Oh, sorry. No, no, yeah. okay, no, no. <laughs> I wasn't sure like the average. No, 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 no. I mean, it varies. It, it does vary greatly. So Counter-Strike's probably one of the one of the bigger ones Big from ones. a cost base. So <laughs> to give you an example, um, to run a successful Counter-Strike team – you're probably paying for the team um, in the two and a half to three and a half million wow, a, a year. How many in the team? Six. To, yeah, to run the team. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing his math He's digging his yeah. team because I've got no idea about that side of the, the world. Mate, you know? And I don't like, think anyone is, else that does out there. children, like children making millions of dollars playing Fortnite. Like but, their parents are yeah. just making them stream. But that's fixed. Then obviously there's the tournament, which would be the bonuses. Yeah, then they get percentages of prize money yeah. and things like that. So how do you how do you ID talent? Like is it similar to like pro, pro like sports, like the physical sport where yeah, you're actually have, looking for good 
players or is it personality and Yeah, we have recruiters. So within the teams, it's more about performance. Right. Um, they don't really have a time. They don't really have time to become personalities. Yeah. And that's not true across the board completely. But if you're a Counter-Strike player, you're training six days a week and you're traveling the world competing. So <laughs> you're not so necessarily cool. building a brand yourself engaging with audience as much. You're a part of a team and you're right. a, high performance. You're, you're, you're a pro. Yeah. Whereas, you know, somebody like a Tim, you know, engaging with audience um, is much more important in terms of looking for personality and things like that. So there's a bit of a mix between those two buckets, right, of streamers and pros where you're probably looking for different things. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we do have – we have – recruiters who are great and who are out looking for young talent who have a real finger on the pulse in all of the different communities. I mean, we've added, uh, since we acquired Complexity, we've added a female Valorant team. We've added a, a Rocket League team, a Halo team. Um, so, yeah, we're constantly looking That's at cool. what games what games are relevant, um, what games are going to continue to be. But the ability to be able to move in and out of games is important to us as well. Um, because, you know, what's relevant and cool today might not be in exactly five years' right. time, so you don't want to go and invest $20, $30 million in a game that no one's watching in five years' time. And you can even see that with Fortnite now, right? Fortnite was enormous and, you know, no one's really playing it. You know, definitely not to the level that they were. Back to the uh, advisory board. There's some really cool people on this um, advisory board. And they I reckon, jumped a few. Yeah, but I reckon yeah. I'm missing a few, and I've only got a few because we've followed the great man um, along the journey. Jordan Balfour, let's start with him, the Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> now, everyone knows the Wolf. I followed his um, podcast, listened to your one. It was fantastic. What's he like as a, as a bloke? And, um, you know, give us a few funny stories about how you met him and how you've actually signed him onto your board. He's great. Um it's interesting. I think people obviously have – I think with certain celebrities, people think that they already know them or they have some kind of perception of them. Um, obviously, there's the movie. <laughs> he comes across different, though, like from now to what the movie depicts. Like he seems very switched on. Oh, he's like, he's incredibly intelligent. Yeah. Um, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's awesome. I, I met him at a, at a dinner party. I was introduced to him. Uh, he he's spent a lot of time in Australia and was very knowledgeable. Uh, knows Eddie McGuire quite well. Very familiar with Australian football, so we are. Uh, we love that. Great, a good chat about about the AFL. Eddie was actually in a bit of hot water at the time that I met him, so we were chatting about <laughs> about Ed. Um, but no, nah, he's he's awesome. He's he's been uh, a great support. Um, talk to him pretty, pretty regularly. Uh. He, he does a lot of work now um, advising companies and, and consulting to companies. He has his own sales course, um, which actually, you know, a bunch of people have come and told me that they've done it themselves and it's, you know, really effective. Um, but he's uh, he's incredibly intelligent um, and somebody who's definitely, I think, rebuilt his brand after, mm. you know, and, and he doesn't glorify it, but, I mean, he, he went and did time. It wasn't necessarily, you know, he was – um, you know, in a jail with with other you know white collar kind of criminals, and it was only times we could go home on weekends and have visits. It was a little different to the way we might think about jail in a <laughs> Shawshank Redemption style. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I mean, he, he the way he described to me was you know I was a loser, I was in jail, and and 
he that was where he kind of taught himself to write and he wrote the book and um you know he's got a great family I've become close with, with a couple of his sons who, who are actually big gamers and have have been um you know um wanting to kind of get involved how about some of the stuff we're doing which has been pretty cool but no, he, he's awesome. He's, he's definitely rebuilt his brand and I think he's a good example of um, giving people second chances. Um, you know, he if if people haven't seen it, they should go and watch his podcast with uh, the FBI agent that caught him. Um, it's incredible. So they have a lot of respect for each other and he, he openly says, you know, if if I didn't get caught and you didn't catch me, uh, Still be I'd, I'd, be, I'd be dead. Yeah, because he the last time you know a lot of people, and this isn't to to justify you know anything that was done or, or or not done, but you know a lot of that was going on on Wall Street at the time. Look, to a degree, still is. Obviously, it's a lot more regulated now. But he, uh, you know, he did it probably better than anybody else. And but he was also had some issues with drugs and other things at the time that you know greed and drugs and. Um, addiction that you know he worked through and has gotten through and so yeah um he's been amazing he's been a great support and um yeah been lucky enough to be at a bunch of dinners with him i mean he can tell a story about anything like literally literally anything you'll be talking about the most mundane or boring of things and (laughs) and he's got a story or an example or yeah he's a very very intelligent man but also somebody doesn't doesn't try to be or force it or you know, talk down to anyone. He's great. Gives everyone time of day. So yeah, he's he's been he's been awesome. Nah, it's incredible. And there you go, the FBI. Do you know his name? The FBI agent. Nah. Nah, that's all right. It's called the Wolf's Den, though. His podcast. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It is the Wolf's Den. Yeah, I don't know if they give the FBI's agents. Name. We'll find we'll find out that, that one and we'll yeah. put it up. But that's great. I'm looking forward to listening to that. And then you've got other guys like Tony Hawk and. And then you've even signed with, uh, you've even got Paradigm Sports, which is obviously Conor McGregor's um, agent um, in Audi. I can't say his last name. Audi Atar, yeah. That's, yeah, Audi, sorry. Yeah. That's, how, how, so when you, you're such a busy man, right? You just touched on the business and how it all runs, all the buckets. How are you juggling all this? As you said, there's marketing, there's finances, you're trying to raise revenue, all the rest of it. Yeah. At what point do you go, right, I've got Jordan, I've got Tony, I need a few more. And then do you, how many people on the board at the moment? So they're on our advisory board, not our not our board. Sorry, of, advisory boards. Yeah, not, not our board of directors. So there's two different boards. Um, what have we got on our board? I think we have six members on our board. We're actually hoping to announce a new board member soon. Um, our board's a little different. It's more regulated. Our advisory board, I mean, you can have as many or as little as you want. Right. Um, generally compensated by some form of equity compensation. Um we haven't actually announced anyone adding on to our advisory board for some time. And I, I don't really envisage that we will. I think it was great, obviously, adding a few of those names have helped with, um, you know, it, early on, I think it definitely helps with opening some doors and, um, you know, credibility and having someone to lean on, like, you know, being able to call up Tony Hawk or, you know, our, our agency business, Tony's actually got a, He's running a live event in Vegas. Our agency business are working with his team around some activations there and his experience. I mean, there'll be a lot of people that might remember playing uh, his his video game. Oh, yeah, it's one of the most – That's my favourite yeah. game growing up. One, one of the most successful, yeah. So having those kind of people involved that have different skill sets, different audiences to open doors um, is important for sure. Um, I don't think there's any right or wrong answer there in terms of, you know – I, I think 
one thing I would say is it probably wears thin if you're just going to roll out 50 celebrities who aren't actually involved in your business. So, yeah. you know, we're pretty particular about who we get involved and why and what they're bringing to the table. We're not just going to go and give away equity to try and look cool. Um, there needs to be a benefit there uh, for sure. But I think everyone we've got involved, um, we're involved for specific reasons. And um, one thing I would say, I mean, with complexity, something really cool that we've done is we've launched the first ever pro athlete gaming division called Complexity Stars. And we have currently eight, about to be nine. So we're about to announce somebody who's a- There we go. Eight. Stay tuned. <laughs> Can we suck it out of him? No, we can't. <laughs> he's, a, he's a global star, but we've got, we've got eight athletes across um, all the major US sports, six male, two female. Who are they, man? Uh, we have- There's a few of them. Yeah, no, no, I can give you the eight. Um, in the UFC, we have Max Holloway and Sean O'Malley, who huge, huge, big audiences, and and both awesome people. They're really, funny. both hilarious as yeah, well. Yeah, they are. Hilarious, Max yeah. Holloway's hilarious. Yeah, I'm actually speaking at a, a at a conference, the Collision Conference, big tech conference in Toronto in June with Max. Max and I are doing it together, which will be really cool. cool. Um, and Megan Anderson, who's who's Australian, so she's UFC fighter. Um, she's actually not fighting at the moment. She's she's overdoing a, a feature film, which is really cool, and she's been doing some media stuff. So I'm not sure when or if she'll be back to fighting or if she'll continue her media career, but um, she's great. Uh, Alicia Gray, who's an Olympic gold medalist um, for the US in basketball, WNBA for Dallas, Um NFL, we've got big Ronnie Stanley from the Baltimore Ravens, first-round draft pick, um, offensive uh, lineman for uh, Baltimore ex-Notre Dame. Uh, Leonard Fournette, running back, obviously. Playoff Lenny. Big, <laughs> big name, especially for me. Yeah, you love that, don't you? What's he like? Lenny's, a, Lenny's an absolute legend. He's hilarious. He's, he's great value. He looks like he's out there. I've seen some videos and NFL films when they cover him and he'll get smoked and he just starts laughing about it. He just looks like he's a great, really cool yeah. guy. It's, it's cool because within this, and I'll, I'll touch on it more in a minute, but it gives an opportunity for fans to actually get to know the athletes. And so there aren't many opportunities, especially in NFL. Like if you're Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, people know what you look like, but a lot of people don't know what these guys even look like because they're wearing a helmet yeah. when they're playing. Yeah. This is an opportunity to show their personality, and Lenny's hilarious. And when he starts gaming, he's giving people lip, and he's into oh, them. We love that. He's awesome. So, <laughs> uh, Lenny's great. Um, uh, Edwin Rios from the LA Dodgers, who's awesome, is up and coming. He'll be a superstar. Got injured last year, but um, Edwin's a, a great fella. And uh, J.R. Smith, who's so That's former. Right. Former Cleveland Cav, LA Laker, NBA champion, and, and now golfer. Golf. I was going to say, you need some yeah. golf lessons. He's really a golfer. Yeah. He's gone back that. to school. It is a cool story if you can Yeah, he's off. got an incredible story. But um, like, so eight tier one athletes yeah, well who, who all have huge audiences. But the thing about them is, and, and why I was touching on that off the back of the advisory board, these eight athletes are all genuine gamer content creators who are authentic to the space. And that that matters because we're not trying to get athletes and fit them into our program. We're building a program that's additive to both parties. Mm. Um, we're actually not paying them in terms of cash or equity. We rev share with them. We build out a program and infrastructure for them to participate in events and tournaments. 
We give them credibility in the gaming space. They join a pro team. They get a new gaming rig. They get access to endemic brand deals that they wouldn't get otherwise that their agents can't unlock. Um, yeah, as I said, content opportunities, events, merch, it's all additive to what they're doing and you know, helps show their personality. And, and most importantly, they love it. Like they they love gaming and this is monetizing a hobby for them. Um, yeah, so it's, it's really cool because I think people think about it. And the reason we're not trying to pay a salary or, or give equity isn't because we're trying to nickel and dime them because they'll, they'll end up getting more money out of it by not doing it. But if we were to do that, then I would – make our contracts much more onerous, right, in terms of deliverables. I'm not going to pay somebody and yeah. mm-hmm. say, well, you do what you want and we'll work it out. But because it's not their primary source of income, I don't want to go and say, hey, well, Leonard Fournette, you need to stream for 40 hours a week because it's not realistic and it's it's going to make him not enjoy what he's doing. So we try and keep it pretty open-ended and, and build the relationship with the right people. And, you know, so far it's worked well there. We get much more out of them by doing it that way as well because they're they're hungry and they you know they're excited by it. So it's very organic. Yeah, and it's additive to both parties. So what's um just to go back a bit because of your background, obviously a finance background. You're from Melbourne. You played footy. Like, how did you get into esports? Did you identify this sort of untapped market for the potential, or did you kind of get poached into it and then? How, yeah. how did all that happen? Yeah, from Achuka, actually. Yeah, that's it, which so is even more like Achuka, and he's the CEO of the gaming company. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> um, so we, uh, yeah, I moved to Melbourne when I was 17. I did a traineeship at Ernst & Young. I had a pretty varied kind of background. I was in accounting, and I didn't want to do accounting, but my uncle gave me advice that it was a good way to go to kind of open up opportunities within business. And, um, you know, I got my way through uni and uh, was you know, more interested in being out a Thursday night, uni night, and getting stuck in than I was, you know, my, my work, I guess. Yeah, I'm a human. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. But I think being thrown into that early on was really advantageous for me because it helped me learn how to juggle work, study, footy, life, girls, mates, all this stuff right, away from home. Mm. And I think, you know, with that, I never want to let people down. So I think you, you kind of learn how to, you know, get organised and best use your time. But for me, I was always like, I'm going to I'll get my degree and then I'll do the, the next best thing. So I always said this thing about a ruthless pursuit of short-term goals and that's kind of how I've lived my life. It wasn't that I was 17 years old, I was leaving a Chuka to try and become a gaming and esports tycoon. Mm. Um, but I've kind of just taken the next best available opportunity. And what I did was within doing that, I, I had 10 years in Melbourne and then moved to Sydney for a few years before heading to LA. And across that journey, I worked, um, you know, I, I, I did the study, which I think is important, is actually getting your technical skills right. So I had an accounting degree. I did my CA, um, which is equivalent to a CPA globally, people you know, call them different things, um, but did that and ticked that box. I worked at Ernst & Young and Deloitte, some big four kind of firms and got the experience in varied stuff, you know, tax and audit and consulting and a bit of M&A stuff. Not always the most exciting stuff, but really fundamental and important skills and also talking to people because I think it's, one, you got to learn your stuff, but then two, how do you take that technical stuff and, and actually 
communicated to your client or to whoever it might be. And I think some people are good at one, some people are good at the other, and combining the two's a bit of secret sauce. And and then it's about kind of a little bit of luck and taking the right risks and all those things along the way. So I went, I moved out of kind of the accounting world as such and, and had a probably a two-year, maybe a year and a half stint at Goldman Sachs in investment banking and hated it but learned a lot and hated it to stretch, knew that it wasn't for me long-term but learned a lot about capital markets and international markets and there's a world outside of Melbourne because, you know, being from Machuca, you know, understanding there's a world outside of Machuca was the first step and then, <laughs> and then outside Melbourne and, and so forth. But um was really good because, you know, I then moved up to Sydney and um, was kind of looking for different roles to go and work for, you know, a brand. And I remember I had an interview with Coca-Cola. They actually offered me a role in their financial accounting team, but I wanted like a strategy role or something interesting, operations role. Like, But all these roles I kept getting offered were in accounting. I didn't want to be an accountant. So I went and worked for a consulting firm and worked across a few different industries and got more strategy and operational experience. And so by the time I was kind of done and ready to move to LA, I'd had a pretty broad background of skills in finance, accounting, consulting, whatever. Um, and yeah, I, I took a I took a big pay cut, went to LA, and my, how, how old were you just before you keep going? How old are you now? I'm turning 37 on Friday. Yep, sorry. I've been telling people I'm 37 for a year. <laughs> Kenzie, Kenzie keeps interrupting me and going, you're actually 36. I've, I've genuinely thought I was 37 all year. Yeah, it looks 30. No, I meant at the time when you moved, to, moved LA, to LA, how yeah, old are yeah. you at that time right then? I moved to LA when I was 30. Beautiful. The house we're actually sitting out the front of, I had my 30th at, oh, at Quilly's house when he bought his he bought his penthouse and, and I ruined it basically day one. <laughs> <laughs> had good. But mates, buddy, naked on the dance floor. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about it another time. But um, yeah, I was. Uh, I was so you moved to LA. Sorry, sorry, I cut you off. You're 30 no, years no, old. No, no, I moved to LA, and it was interesting because I was in a role where I was I was running a a strategy group for um, Rams Mortgage Group, which was owned by Westbank Bank, and it was cool because I, it was a franchise business, and I was traveling around Australia, I was living in Sydney at the time. And actually helping franchisees build their businesses and build out models for them. But then I was reporting into the executive at Westpac on my business unit. So I kind of had the best of both worlds, mum and dad family businesses, traveling, executive banking kind of stuff. But, you know, it was enjoyable. I liked it. I had, you know, gave me good experience. But I was always in the back of my mind was like I need to get overseas and and, and get some experience working overseas. because so all of my kind of mentors and, and bosses throughout my time at Deloitte, EY, Goldman Sachs, everybody senior had done that. And I had an opportunity when I was at Goldman's early on to go to New York and then the financial crisis hit and I just had never taken that leap. So got to a point where I was pretty comfortable in Bondi, you know, doing the same stuff. you got people coming over Friday night for dinner and you go to the same places. It's good fun. It's a comfortable, great lifestyle. Um, but I took a, a pretty big pay cut uh, and a pretty big risk and moved to LA. I um, had an opportunity. I'd been over there. I had a wedding in Mexico a, a year earlier and spent a bit of time in LA and New York and was chatting with a mate of mine that was in LA, an American guy. And he actually got me onto this 
experiential agency. It was a really cool opportunity, um, but quite junior. And they were doing all the experiential for Google and Nike at the time. Not not all of the experiential, but they were doing experiential for Google and Nike at the time and some big projects across America. And I love my sport and the opportunity, you know, to go up to, to Oregon and, and work on activations that were, you know, around Nike. It was just really cool and really great experience. Um, and that was sort of a, a financial strategy role, but it wasn't that that senior. And what I noticed was when I was in the role was that I was able to show real value and that I was far better at my job than a lot of other people were. And it sounds a bit cocky or whatever, Not but really. I, I started building a relationship with the CEO by building out decks and showing him ways that he could actually run a project better and bring more value. And the CFO, who I still have a really close relationship with, really funny guy, surfer from San Diego, <laughs> He was uh, he was watching surf contests while I did all his work. <laughs> uh, what but, a man! But he uh, he actually he he left, and um, it was interesting because they were looking to hire a CFO, and I certainly wasn't at the level ready to be a CFO at that point. But I was definitely well above the level I was at. I convinced the CEO to to give me a crack, and I said, "Just keep paying me what you pay me for another twelve months, and I'll get the job done." And I did. I led him through an audit. Um, we expanded, grew two more offices and kind of threw myself in the deep end. And, and I left there, left on really good terms, but, you know, I wasn't getting paid anywhere near enough for the for the, the level that I was working at. And they weren't really in a position to to pay me probably what I was worth. But it gave me the, the, the development and the grounding to believe in what I was doing and that I knew I could do that. So I went and uh, I took a role with a, production company called Madison and Vine. We do a lot of uh, music videos, TV, commercial, online, digital, snackable content. Uh, and I was the head of finance there. I worked closely with the CFO, um, helped kind of guide them through uh, their first raise and setting up structure. And that was a cool gig. I was only there for a year when I got the opportunity to go and join FaZe Clan which again, you know, was that kind of ruthless pursuit of short-term goals. I wasn't looking to leave. Um, it actually took me about six months to end up leaving and going to FaZe Clan because FaZe Clan certainly then wasn't what it is now. There was a, eight guys working out of a house. It was actually a pretty funny story. Um, the head of creative at the time was the old creative director from Playboy and he um, – what's the – Best way of saying this. I'm trying to think of the most politically correct way of saying this. <laughs> I mean, the lift didn't quite go to the top floor. He was still very creative, but, you know, he, he cooked himself pretty much. <laughs> I uh, I came in for an interview at Washed up. four o'clock in the afternoon with, it wasn't with him, but um, with a couple of the guys there. And, you know, they were at a big audience and they didn't, but they didn't really have a business at that point in time. And this cool house in West Hollywood and, you know, starting to understand, like, and again, the, the industry certainly isn't what it is now. Mm. Um, you know, this is five years ago at least, nearly six years ago, uh, and um, had had the interview and Jimmy, who was the, the creative director, has come down. 
because some of the guys are living in the house they're working out of. He's come down, he's dressing out, eating breakfast here at four in the Arvo. So I was, uh, <laughs> my, my original impression was to, to stick with what I was doing. But I, we had a few more discussions and the uh, the offer was got it to a point that made sense. And my whole thing was, and it was the same thing when I left Sydney to come to go to LA, was you're taking a risk, but your risk is mitigated by the fact that you can go back to what you were doing or mm. you've got the experience and you can go and do something else. So it's a calculated risk. It's not a risk of if I if I go to this and it doesn't work out, I'm not going to you know, know where my next meal's coming from. So, yeah, yeah. so people talk about, you know, taking risks. It was, it was a risk, but it was a calculated risk and went over there and, you know, got some equity in it early on and all those types of things. And, again, incredible learning experience because it was really about helping shape you know, what is now the, the biggest brand in, in gaming and esports, bar none. But um, the CEO, Lee Trink, was an investor and advisor at the time of the business, but none of the uh, current executives are still there. None of them were still there when I left. Um, so, you know, I was there for nearly three years as CFO, um, took eight people working out of the house to, um, you know, a, a global business. I raised $60 million in debt and equity over that time and raised money on Wall Street when I can still remember a bunch of days where you're getting up in front of a room of suits of some of the smartest people who are grilling you on, you know, everything. And and that's all the way from, you know, we understand there's an audience but no one's proved out how you monetize the industry and, you know, all sorts of things. So it was a huge learning curve but, um, you know, obviously turned out to be the right one. And then, yeah, now I'm at GameScore. Another point, you know, after three years, my equity invested, good relationships at FaZe. Um, you know, lots of stories I could tell about my time there and tough times and good times but learning learning experiences and things I, I liked and agreed with and other things I didn't. So my decision was to kind of go and build something the way I wanted to build it and build a culture the way I wanted to build a culture. And I think that's kind of resonating in what I'm doing now. Um, so, yeah. It's awesome. It's an wow. incredible story. Unbelievable. And there's a lot of stories in the middle there where <laughs> I reckon I met you at a, at a college game, probably just as you were about to go into FaZe Clan. So six, seven years ago. And wow, um, yeah. And it was one of the, you, you wouldn't have picked it. We had a great night and the, the, the game was, I think it was USC that we might've been there. USC, yeah. um, the great man was on fire. Actually, I what, still remember one funny moment. What was funny Tommy Sheridan like six, seven no, years ago? No, there's this one funny story. <laughs> I just remember. Just everybody played AFL. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. JK was, not me, mate. <laughs> That's probably true, actually. Yeah, yeah. But, Luckily, um, no one over there has any idea what AFL is. So yeah, yeah. No one cared at all. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember JK just yelling, put your head over the young <laughs> <laughs> the crowd's going, what's this guy talking? I, I think we stuck a bit of boozing because the college games you can't actually drink in the game. Right. So yeah. everyone gets obliterated before it. But yeah. We did both. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, did it in style. Nah, it's great, mate. You touched on everything there and it's incredible. What was probably the most rewarding moment you had at FaZe Clan? Oh, there were a few. There was, it was like rewarding for sure, but also I think moments where you just stop and go, okay, wow, like this is – bigger than I could have ever possibly thought or imagined. Um, it was in New York. So we had a uh, – it was the Fortnite World Cup in New York. Um, was that at the – was that at Flushing Meadows or whatever it was? It was, yep. 
That's unbelievable in itself, isn't it? Like sold, to- yeah, sold out. Um, it was it was thirty million prize money bigger than any golf or tennis tournament. Yeah, that's what the average age. So hundred kids are in the singles and a hundred duos. And how kids, good is that? Average, <laughs> average age, average qualifying age was sixteen point seven years of age. That's wow, good ridiculous. There was a couple of Aussies in there, but we um we had six kids from phase that were that were playing, which was the most represented org at that time. And we did a um we did a pop up store the day before. Where we released and merged, and it was Face Clan versus the world. It was this old arcade style t shirt and hoodie that you could do. And there was going to be, you know, live meet and greets with our talent. And we had two sprinter buses full of all of our talent um, going to the, the pop up. And we're hearing all this sort of chatter. And I'd been in New York for a week because I was doing some investor meetings and. Everyone got in and I was actually staying in a different hotel but went to the hotel for breakfast with our executive group and I got on one of the, the shuttles with some of our talent, which I'm glad I did because it was a pretty incredible experience. We rolled around this corner and it was like a police barricade. Kids had been lined up for two nights and they'd been trying to move on. There was about 10 blocks of New- in New York City of kids waiting to see Phase Clan, Jeez. and the crowd was just extraordinary. They'd blocked off streets. I think it was it was on every major news channel and every paper in New York, and these kids are going mental, like, like crying and screaming, and it was the most spine-tingling thing to see what was going on and, like, this new era of superstar. And Jimmy Iovine, who's on the board at, at Phase, and, yeah, I got to – Spent a little bit of time with Jimmy before I left and we raised some money. I raised some money, closed a deal with him in, him investing in phase originally, but um he he described it as the new form of Beatlemania and it really was. It was absolutely insane. There's still some footage of you know, just the absolute mayhem kids crying. The police shut it down, the, the pop up and I had a bunch of stickers I was handing out to kids in the crowd and it was just amazing. There's a few moments like that, but that was pretty eye opening and yeah, even just times being with, you know, I was at lunch with Face Banks and, and Juju Smith-Schuster, plays uh, just recently mm. got picked up by Jeez. the Chiefs. But, you know, to me, that's Juju. He plays in the NFL. Like, quite similarly, I'm a big, big NFL fan. But, you know, Faze Banks is the one getting mobbed. Yeah, like, Faze yeah. Banks but, is huge. But with hysteria. And if yeah. someone comes to Juju, be like, can I get a photo? <laughs> just seeing, like, the reaction is kind of that. I think it's that Kardashian effect a little bit that these kids, they because they watch these people every day, they think they know them and they have this real hysteria. Yeah. It's not like you're an athlete and, you know, you're my role model and you're my hero. This is like I know you and, you know, you're a part of my life. That's kind of this sort of different mentality. But, yeah, there are, there are a bunch of moments and phase where it was like, wow, like we're – Really building something pretty phenomenal here, yeah. and and it's been the same. It's sure, it's it's been the same at Game Square, and it's even more rewarding now because, you know, as I said, taking risks to go and, and build something the way I want to build it, and I've learned a lot. Um, to now be able to try and apply that to 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 building a culture um, that's sustainable and and that you know rewards people in the right way and that we we bring the right type of person in to our org, whether it's staff or talent or, 
you know, investor, whatever it might be, that we're bringing in the right people and doing it the right way. So, yeah. yeah. I think I remember seeing videos of that online. It was, um, it was like, it was literally like a Super Bowl parade. Wow. It was just like people going wild and yeah, it's. Is it's there like, not a, is there not a market for it here? Like, it, cause it seems like the epicenter is obviously where you are. There but, is. But is are people doing that here? They're pro esports teams in Australia. There is. It's, it's interesting. I was actually, I was having this conversation at dinner last night. I feel like Australian investors are, um, are a bit more conservative. Mm. Um, as well as brands and, and sporting organisations. I mean, it's been a number of AFL teams have made a move into esports and, and yep. acquiring teams and having a dabble in that space, but a lot of them are kind of risk-averse. You know, their old grey-head board members won't let them go into first-person shooter games, and so they're, yep. they're building out these programs around Madden and NBA 2K and FIFA, and that's great, but it's not, it's not real esports. There are... You know, there's some big tournaments, but the real dollars are in these first-person shooter games, so Counter-Strike, Call of Duty, Fortnite, okay. so forth, Valorant, Apex, etc. now. Um, that's real esports, and there is some crossover traditional sports. But I think, yeah, there are. It's, it's probably the same issue, you know, that we have in Australian sport in general with if you look at you know, soccer or basketball that you lose a lot of your top-end talent to overseas, yeah. um, and that's the case. You know, there's some of the best Counter-Strike Fortnite players in the world are Australian. They just play for – we had one signed at Complexity. We've had an, a number at Phase. They play all over the world, but there's more opportunities overseas, more yeah. dollars. Um, there's definitely a scene here, and I think Australia bats above in a lot of this stuff as well, especially as a consumer in terms of you know, high disposable income and um, definitely a big – audience i think some of it probably comes down to brands moving at the same pace that they do overseas right and that's and you know, we've had some of the same issues in the u.s where brands still don't quite get it so a lot of it's an education piece and i think that's why for us having the touch points with the cowboys and traditional sport as well as a nice landing spot for some of these brands that are entering the gaming and esports space um there's definitely a market here. It's a little tougher because I think, one, you're losing a lot of your top-end talent, and two, a lot of the brands and advertisers are a little slower to understanding audience. And I think that the one really important piece of all of this and why my company is so unique is the market's very fragmented when it comes to gaming. It's not that gaming and esports has one audience or one way of reaching that audience. You know, these communities are communities of you know, Call of Duty fans aren't necessarily, Counter-Strike fans aren't necessarily, NBA 2K fans aren't necessarily FIFA fans. So how do you actually reach audience in a meaningful way? And if you're a brand, what type of audience do you want to reach? So we have a media network within GCN, our, our agency media company, that, that age gates, that targets specific audience. So not only do we create strategies for brands within the space as to how you touch audience, we actually help them specifically reach those audience bases, which I think is really important when you think about this. You know, if you're a, you know, a traditional brand, you want to reach traditional audiences in sport, that's great, but you're going to be a long way behind the eight ball pretty soon mm -hmm. because there are a lot of kids growing up that are moving away from traditional sports. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously we've seen the huge takeover in digital, digital and in the way that, 
you know, we consume TV now is different. The way we consume media is different. Um, these gaming audiences are huge and they're only growing. And, you know, with the emergence of Web3 and the metaverse, it's it's only going to continue to be that way. So, yeah, mate, super interesting. Mate, I, it's, uh, I always talk to you about Twitch. Like I'm, I sit on there all day, man, just watching people sometimes. I get notifications when certain people are going online and stuff and it's like a showcase. Like yeah. there's literally like a 10-minute scene of like music and theatre and then the person comes on and all of a sudden they're playing GTA with a character and it's like, what is going on, man? It's yeah, just it's a different, different world, world, man. What would be your greatest advice to probably AFL athletes and all athletes in Australia, how to monetize their time in this space? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't concern yourself too much about the monetization part of it. I mean, if you, so from an athlete's perspective, your role is to be an athlete and that should be your, your primary goal, right? That's what pays the bills. But I think, you know, if it's something that you're interested in or you have a hobby, someone like Mitch Robinson is a really good example. Mitch yeah. and I stay in touch a little bit. Mitch is a great game. He's creating content. He does it consistently. He does it to a high level. Mm. Um Look at somebody like a Juju overseas, right? Juju's probably the best case from a, an American athlete standpoint in terms of quality content that he creates. I think number one is ensuring it doesn't get in the way of your, your primary job that pays your bills. And then number two is it, that it really is a passion, right? Because if it's a passion, you're doing it well, you're doing it consistently, the monetization part of it will take care of itself. Mm. And it's just something that can give you, you know, additional platforms that you can monetize in the future, um, but I wouldn't be too concerned about trying to go out and sign huge deals day one, you know, build an audience, you know, be consistent, and the monetization part will take care of itself. Would the AFL ever censor stuff like that? Because I know, like, Jeremy Cameron's on it, Mitch yeah. Robinson obviously the reason but, like, ask. there's always the AFL's a little bit different with that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, they did a little bit of it. I've done a little, you know, I've, I've worked in the space when we did the lockdown league and we did tournaments and just tried to have some fun with it. Um, but yeah, it's just an interesting one. That's why I asked because the reason I ask is it, you know, can you monetize it is because what you just said, the, the, the primary um, focus is the job, which is obviously being an athlete, but there's a lot of spare time where the boys are, sure. you know, playing this stuff. And I think the first question would be from the outsiders, whether it's their managers or their, or their partners or anyone, yeah. is like, why are you wasting so much time on there? So to know that there might be, you know, an opportunity down the line um, after growing a community, it's, it's kind of more more the question. So, and it, it is a, so there's another question. I believe there's a really strong play in live sport. A bit like, you know, um, Eli and Peyton, their, their, their show. I feel like the AFL could do something like this, and I'm really confident they could because of that live commentary, relaxed um, You're talking style. Like streaming, watching live. Well, have you live seen sport? have you seen Peyton and Eli? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So no, no, not no, no, not streaming. Just watching live sport and commenting right. on it, and okay. as it goes, but then having guests on and talking a bit of shit because there's so much downtime. I feel like that live that live sport element is 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 pretty cool. What do you think of that stuff? For sure. Yeah. No. Definitely. We've had a lot of comments about Tim uh, commentating NFL games. I think a lot of it comes down to licensing as well yeah, and, issues, and issues around that and where and how you can actually stream it to be able to commentate on it. So yeah, it's interesting. I think, again, the main part is if you build an audience, those opportunities will come because, I mean, we have inbound now from the NFL. It's not, it's not just a one-way street, right? It's like people even – with the Cowboys relationship, people are like, wow, what, what do the Cowboys want from Game Square? It's like, well, very soon it's going to be the other way around because we we control this younger demographic, the brands are trying to reach. It's not just 
really young kids either, right? Like thirteen to thirty-one year old, high disposable income. That's that's the the audience that brands are always trying to reach. So, yeah, I think there's something in it. There's just a lot of um, a lot you need to work around in terms of licensing mm. and what you can and can't do with broadcast. You deal with if, the AFL. if you were, um, it's a bit of an elementary question, but I'm just thinking a couple of the listeners might be keen on sort of getting into this space. If you were sort of starting out in the gaming space, what would be your sort of suggestions, like early steps, fundamental steps you need to take to get going to start building a platform? Yeah, I think just making sure that you've got all your equipment right, you set up your stream and, and that, you, that you're passionate about what you're doing. Like, you know, I think that resonates in what you do because – even somebody at the level of a Tim, like Tim's streaming five, six days a week for eight hours a day. Yeah. So it's not like he's getting paid all – and look, he does very well and he plays video games and talks to his mates for his job. It's pretty good. But but it But he works hard and he's yeah. very, very good at what he does and he always has to be on. Like he can't be on there and you know, saying shit that will get him in hot water or, you know, you've, you've got to be on and you've got to be passionate. It resonates in everything you do. So yeah. – I think making sure you're doing it for the right reasons. I think a lot of some of the issues are now and go back to my journey is make your journey your journey, not somebody else's. Like everybody reads these self-help books and, you know, how to get rich quick or, you know, go do Tony Robbins and blah, blah. I'm not saying that's not the key. Maybe that is for some people. But don't just bank on that. Yeah. Go do the work. Make sure you know your shit. You're good at what you do and then you can go and kind of take some risks but don't go take risks or try to get rich quick or, you know, I think the problem is everybody, like we are talking about with social media before, everyone compares themselves to everybody else. Yeah. You spend too much time comparing yourself to everybody else, you're never going to be happy. Mm. So, you know, you don't just go get rich overnight by luck. Sustained yeah. successes, there's, there's not many, you know, people who have that sustained success that just got lucky. So I, I think just make sure you're doing it for the right reason because if, you, if you're passionate about it and that'll resonate and really there's no barrier to entry, right? Like you go get your setup, you start streaming, you got an audience, you just got to build it. And, and I think, you know, it's not like, you know, basketball or something where, you know, you might be small or you're not as strong or girls versus guys or some kind of thing. Like all of these things are out the door. It doesn't matter what race or gender or, you know, whatever you are. So I think get yourself set up, do it for the right reasons and yeah, that's good advice. Mate, well said. I've got some random questions, mate, because I think we've covered everything and thank you so much for your time. We know how busy you are. The phone's probably blowing up in that right it pocket. I can just say, <laughs> hey, I can just say. Hey, got the Twitch going over I there. Check, I had to check it. <laughs> no, mate, things. go ahead. Mate, go ahead. Um, it's informal. Random ones for me, you know me. Uh, who do you – obviously, Dallas Cowboys man now. I am now, oh, yeah. You've, tried, you, you've put him on the fence Favorite, there. He's yeah, got I, I am an LA Rams season well, ticket holder. I was going to say, yeah, well, yeah, I've heard a few stories from Tommy Bug and Co about the time they've had in the suite there. It's yeah. Um, who's your favorite player in the NFL? Uh, probably Zeke, just because yeah. we've had a fair bit to do with him and he's – no, although, I mean, Zeke's actually not signed with us because he's my one of my old uh, guys that I was running phase with who, who runs Exit actually went and nabbed Zeke early, which I wasn't happy about. But, um, I mean, Lenny Fournette and Ronnie, you, you, it's funny how you become you know, so biased. You go up and you're a kid and you like, I'm a Richmond supporter, so you, you go to the footy and you're so biased and you love it. And then as you get a bit older, you kind of follow a few players who yeah. are your mates who More you know friendships. better and yeah. so it is there is a little bit of that like definitely you know when when the Rams were playing Tampa in the playoffs 
I was hoping for a big Lenny game and a Rams win, and I got that. So that was that was good. But Lenny and Lenny and Ronnie are rock stars. That's great. It's good to see Tom Brady back. What's the coolest bar you've been to in in America? In America, I, uh, I was going to say my favorite bar in LA is actually a dive bar in Venice Beach called Hanano, which is down near the pier, and it's just a <laughs> shitty little bar with. Crap all over the floor and a pool table, a bit of live music on a Sunday night. Love that. Oh, love Good that. little Brunchy. burger, cold beers. Oh, oh. yes. Um, but the best bar is actually in Dallas. It's called Ice House at Katie Trail. It's on the Katie Trail. It's We got told it's the highest grossing bar in America, which I'm yet to confirm, but <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. It's got a huge indoor and outdoor big barbecue pits. It's down on this trail. It's got a lot of greenery over the top of it. It's a great Sunday football spot. Love it. Well, I've never been there before, so I'll sample that at some point. Who is? Oh, you've met a lot of people. Who is the coolest person that you've met? The coolest person. Got a long list, I reckon. Geez, that's a pretty tough. There might be one. There might be one. Meeting Connor was pretty cool, Um, just because of the level of celebrity that he is in terms of other celebrities become normal people around him. Not that they're not normal people, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. he brings them down a notch. <laughs> we had a, we had a yeah. suite. Puts them in their place. Yeah. <laughs> we had a suite at the uh, Chargers-Cowboys game week two this year and had a lot of our athlete talent there. J.R. Smith was there. Ben Simmons was there as well, another Aussie. Um, Tommy Bug was there, wasn't he, in this one? Buggy. Yeah, he's told town. me a story Buggy about this. that one well. Buggy did sneak his way in, which. There's more to this than what I've been told. <laughs> not, as, not as much room in the suite when you got Tommy Bug's big head <laughs> oh, and hair no, in there. No. He used to wear a helmet back in the day. He used to bring it in a bit. It's a fair bonce. But um, we had, yeah, I got a few mates in there actually that day, which was um, their highlight, mate of mine, Sammy Carr, it's his birthday and got him in. He was just all day just walking around going, what is going on? <laughs> um, <laughs> we had Sean O'Malley in there. Yeah, it was a bunch of people. But then at the end of the day, um, an Aussie guy, Tim Simpson, who works at Paradigm, is their head of talent. One of the uh, reasons we actually got the Paradigm and, and Connor deal done, uh, he was in there with me having a few drinks and he said, Connor's going to come by. And there's a few... We were actually meant to hang out with Connor. Um, we announced him joining the advisory board um, around his fight where he broke his leg and we were to hang out and spend a few days after that. And obviously he was on a plane back to – I was at his after party having drinks and he's on a plane back to get surgery. So that didn't really work out. And mm. you, you never know with Connor with somebody of that stature if, you, mm. if he is rocking up or not. And then there was this procession of people – before him, around him, and after him, and he walked in, and I had this this Cowboys jersey for him with proper twelve on the back, and he loved it. Oh, he, right. he comes in, and uh, he says, "Is that for me?" And he, he gave him the jersey, and he got his phone out, and asked his manager to take a photo. So I still think I'm one of the only people Connor's ever asked for a photo. He's asked a photo with JK. I had to check it off, make sure I was like, he's, okay. he's, he's a big Dallas fan, isn't he? Or at least I've seen him at the Dallas yeah, um, Cowboys Stadium a few times with his kids. He was and actually stuff. he was actually at the game 
as a guest of the Chargers, but he, he right. is a Cowboys fan. Yeah. He's been out there and he's met Jerry a few yeah, times. Yeah, I've seen him rubbing shoulders. With he done the, I think he's on the coin toss maybe, but I've seen him throwing he's the ball. Been, yeah, he's been, been out there a little bit. He was. We'll, we'll try and get him back out there again. He was he was going to be on hard knocks last year, but then there, there was a few things that went on and so he didn't end up getting on there. But, um, yeah, he is a Cowboys fan. There's a lot of famous Cowboys fans, so that kind of helps – attracting people out to games and, mm. you know, getting investors involved and talent. It's good fun. They've been they've been amazing. But, yeah, Jamie Foxx is there a lot. J.R. Smith's actually a huge Cowboys fan. So cool. I, I didn't even know that, which was, yeah, a huge plus. And LeBron, obviously, and there's a, there's a big – LeBron's got a contract, I believe. He had like a one-day contract or something that they might have done. <laughs> um and yeah, Post Malone is Post Malone's dad actually worked at the Cowboys what? for years. So cool. um, yeah. yeah, America's team for a reason. Yeah, unbelievable. What's your best advice to a young entrepreneur, businessman, an Aussie, someone from Echuca, maybe Riddles Creek, Brighton? <laughs> doesn't matter, but uh, obviously you've made your way and you've found your feet. But what's your greatest advice to anyone out there watching or listening? Yeah, I think just don't worry about everybody else or about instant gratification. Do the work, get your shit done, and, and and then go take some risks. I think the calculated risks, that whole attitude of you know ruthless pursuit of short term goals. You don't need to know. People always ask you your five year plan, but I mean I don't know my five year plan sitting here today. And you know I'll, I'll happily say that you can always have things in the back of your mind you want to achieve, but no, like there are so many variables on your path, and as you take that path, just to you know, take the best available opportunity. But I think. In doing that, you need to know your shit, so go and do the work. Love that. Love it. pursuit of short-term goals. It that's is. A, that's a great line. We'll get that one as the thumbnail. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. Yeah. yeah, maybe we should. <laughs> yeah, we'll get that one done. Well, we'll mate, have to get his IP on Thank that. you so much for your time. Great, man. I know how busy you are. It's just more. Um, it's just great to see you. It's been so long. I love hanging out with you. And uh, yeah, episode three in the bank, Jakey. So. Mate, absolute pleasure. Lovely to meet you. Heard a lot about Thanks, you. Mate. and. Uh, Absolutely love this industry. So. so everyone out there listening, watching Game Square Esports, expect big things. The great man here is running the company and he'll be doing a great job. The culture is strong. So everyone get out there, support it. Follow them on Instagram to see the journey and uh, we'll see everyone next week. Let's go get a bid. There it is. Episode three of Aces in Business with Justin Kenner, the CEO of Game Square. Some unbelievable stories there and some incredible insight to the esports community and what they're doing. A really, really interesting space. So thanks, JK, for coming on, mate. As I said, really grateful for your time. Your phone was absolutely blowing up while we're on air and we can only imagine how busy you are. So thank you to everyone listening. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Make sure you tap that bell little icon on your apps, all good podcasting apps, so that you do not miss any announcements or episodes coming up because we've got some huge guests, a bit like JK, sharing some incredible stories. Thank you so much to Caps for supporting us. Like I said earlier, they are the hub of US sports apparel here in Australia. They're purely for you, the fans. So head online and use our discount code ACES and grab yourself all the authentic NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, AFL, and NRL apparel, including all the elite jerseys, caps, hats, T-shirts, tracksuits, and more. That's all I've got. Thanks again. I love you. Have a great week. Leave a review. A kind one will do. And I'll see you soon.